Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the CityWire Ratings Radar podcast. So it's a new month and we start May by looking back on April, which was notable for two significant things. Number one, the S&P 500 rose by 17.8%, and that was its best performance since January 1987. Uh, those of you of a certain age listening to this will know that something quite dramatic happened later in that year. Uh, we had Black Monday, or Black Friday and Black Monday, when stocks around the world fell by 25%. So uh, let's hope we don't get a repeat of that later this year. Uh, the second thing about April was that by my reckoning, it lasted around 437 days, or at least it felt like that. So let's hope May, with the promise of at least some let up in lockdowns around the world, goes past a little quicker. Uh, joining me today, as ever, is my co-host Angus Foote and our fund manager data overlords, Frank Talbot and Nisha Long. Uh, I'm going to start with Nisha this week, uh, and Nisha is going to has taken a look at the mixed asset balance sector. Now, instinctively, and this is without having seen any of the numbers, uh, this strikes me as a sector that might have weathered the storm better than most. Is that right, oh, Nisha? Yeah, you'd be surprised, actually, because um, in Q1, actually, only um, 34% of managers outperformed the benchmark in the balance euro-denominated sector. You also have a sterling-denominated balance sector, and only 14% of managers outperformed their benchmark over that time. So you can just see, you know, how the markets were going around that time. Um, just to point into context, both of those sectors together have 40 rated managers. And you're talking about maybe, what, three, 400 managers in those sectors. So, you know, it's not much. But uh, the reason I've got my eyes set on this uh, balance sector it's a 50-50 allocations, equity bonds, and it's not easy to get a rating. So the people who did get a rating, you know, for their three year to the end of um, March, you know, it was pretty good. And two managers, well, three managers who've caught my eye and are on my radar, Simon Clements um, and Peter Michaelis and Gerrit Smith. Um, now, I just wanted to start with the first, um, Simon Clements, who's AAA rated and manages two funds in the sector, the Lion Trust Sustainable Future Defensive Managed and the a Cautious Managed Fund. And he manages alongside Peter Michaelis, who is AA rated. But Clements has uh, impressed me particularly well this um, because of he's steadily risen up the ratings um, ladder and has been AAA rated for since January for 2020. So in December, he was AA rated. But um, coming into this year, you know, he's done particularly well. Um, so it's been good for someone, at least. <laughs> so, um, but as the name suggests of his portfolio, they're sustainable funds. And it's not only by name, they are actually sustainable. Uh, focused. They have about 20 themes going into the portfolios, including low carbon economy, digital security and healthier eating. Now, what worked well for them is due to the COVID-19, they did make some changes in their portfolios and they're very proactive, which, you know, is a sign of a good active manager. Uh, before all of this, they were actually overweight equities and corporate bonds and underweight cash and gills. Now, this was in January when, you know, people are still talking about Brexit and the China-US trade wars. You know, I haven't heard about those for a long time. So it's all about the COVID at the moment. But then COVID hit and they were very proactive and they reduced their equity allocation in this balanced portfolio to neutral and they moved overweight cash, which we've seen in a lot of portfolios moving to cash overweights and they did the same, but they also went into infrastructure equities, you know, which is a defensive play for their uh, portfolio and that worked as well. Now, can I ask, 
sorry yeah. to interrupt, can I ask a layman's question though? Just generally, do you think that this idea of balanced portfolios and, the, and that concept is, is still something that, it, that, um, that holds water for investors? Uh, something yeah. that was you go back sort of five, 10, 15 years, these things were the mainstay of lots of portfolios. No, they were definitely. So a 50-50 portfolio, you'd think you'd have some kind of, um, well, the balanced portfolio with equities and bonds, you know, uncorrelated assets. But actually recent research I've done um, has shown that these portfolios are highly correlated to equities. And that's because this the bond portion has changed so much in these portfolios. So you're talking about what, say 10, 15 years ago, pre-crisis, global financial crisis, 2008, you know, these portfolios were doing their job, you know, uncorrelated assets, global equities, and, you know, you had negative correlation from coming from your bonds portion. But as yields, you know, were hammered, you know, after the crisis and still are, you know, um, global high yield, convertible bonds, for example, started creeping into these portfolios. And they are they're equity proxies. They're highly correlated to equity, the equity market. And therefore, you've seen these portfolios and mixed assets, you know, going, well, becoming really highly correlated to these um, assets, but also having alternatives in there as well. So, you know, it's shifted a lot. You can't say it's a traditional, say, 50-50 or 60-40 portfolio anymore. You're not getting, you know, the diversification benefits that you were, say, 10, 15 years ago. Um, so you really need to look at what's in these portfolios to see if you have that. Exactly. So this is why we need professional fund selectors, isn't it? Oh, of course. Definitely. So they're definitely doing their job right if they do are picking, you know, a fund which mm. is, you know, well, has some uncorrelated assets that you want from this kind of portfolio. Yes. Um, so just so I'm saying, you know, they have, so coming back to Clements, um, he has, you know, gone back into um well, deployed some of his cash and gone back into equities because we are going through a recovery now. We're into May now. And, you know, we've seen a period of recovery. Um, and I can see that they're, Clemens and Michael is, you know, still keeping their rating because uh, in, well, April, their defensive fund was up around 6%. Um, and so was their cautious managed one. So in this sector itself, you know, they should, you know, still be doing well. Um, Killer stocks were definitely healthcare. You know, they had Roche, Eli Lilly, and CSL, um, and they've you know really latched onto the remote working theme. But they had these stocks in before, so the likes of Salnex, American Tower, and Equinix. And every time I've looked at these managers, they've always held these you know stocks in their portfolio. So it's not just a knee-jerk reaction. We need to get onto the back of his remote working theme. They've always had these stocks, and they've always done well. And you know, and that's why you know they've got one of the highest ratings in that you can get from Citua from this. Excellent. Thank you very much, Nisha. Uh, Frank, the fascinating sector of small caps. Now, if I'm reading this right, uh, they got absolutely trashed during the, the crash in March, uh, but have, have come back reasonably strongly since then. Is, is, is that right? It did get trashed in the crash. Firstly, Angus, I'd never call you a layman. That's harsh. <laughs> wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't go there. Um, so uh, small caps, yeah, small caps got hit hard. Like there's no, there's no denying it. They got hit hard. But I really like small caps. I say this a lot. No one listens, but I say it. But our performance rates in small caps generally are ridiculously high. Developed, emerging, over any you know meaningful time frame, every sector we track, the outperformance rates are north of sixty percent. In most cases, well north of sixty percent. 
and that was the case again in, in March and April. Um, the beauty of it is that, yeah, they're obviously more volatile, small caps. You lose more when markets, markets are bad. But in most, most markets around the world, small caps have outperformed large caps over, over long periods. You know, that's definitely the case uh, in, in the UK. Over the last decade, small caps up 98%, FTSE all shares up 67%. In Europe, ex-UK, small caps up 112%. Um, broad uh, European equities up 88%. That's not so much the case in, in the US where the story's all been about big tech and, and that's been the driving force. So large caps have outperformed small caps. But I think you've got, you're getting more vol, but if, if managers are taking the edge off the downside and small caps outperform in the long run, if you're not actively allocating to small caps, you are missing a trick. I, I, really, I really can't emphasize that anymore. You know, the, the percentages are stacked well in your favor as a selector. And if you are going in doing your research, you should, you know, those percentages should be even more favorable. So I want to highlight a couple of managers, um, one in the UK, one in the US. Uh, in the UK first, you know, starting close to home, is Harry Nimmo on the Aberdeen Standard UK Small Cap. Oh, top man. Top man, right. I mean, one of the curious things about small caps in the UK is the people who were good when I joined CityWire 15 years ago, they're still good today. Um, and, and Harry's very much in that camp. You know, he got a bit of shade when he decided to take on a global equity small cap fund, but he's still doing the business. You know, he's been consistently AAA rated for over a year. Um, and he had, you know, a great March and, and has had a decent April. It helps his overweight consumer defensives. He's got food producers, Cranswick, Hilton Foods, both about 4% of the fund. You know, they've done well, Staples have done well in this crisis. And, you know, still down 11% um, since the beginning of March till, till the end of April, but the index is off 20%. So that's pretty decent. Um, and, but the whole category as a whole in March, 84% of UK small cap managers outperformed in March, 84%, ridiculously high. And, you know, I just think that's, that's something that people really need to look more closely at. So that's the UK done. In the US. That, Frank, does that, sorry, I know we said we wouldn't interrupt, but I'm, does that tell you more about what's in the index than how good these managers are? It seems so high. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that might be the case, but I think it, it kind of leans towards the stock picker, doesn't it? You know, the, the inefficiency of the, the, smaller, the smaller, less well-trodden markets uh, bears out in the numbers consistently. You can't say every small cap index is terrible. No, if you look at you look at whether or not small caps outperforming large caps. That's the thing you need to focus on: the money you're being made. Yes, more volatile, but you know, I still think compelling. Um, so, uh, in the US, I want to highlight Amy Zhang. She runs a host of small cap funds, uh, but it's the Alger Small Cap Focus Fund that I want to talk about. Available pretty much anywhere in the world, um, and has been crushing it for for some time over the past three years. The fund's up seventy percent. That compares to, this is to April 30th, that compares to just 19% for the average manager and 13% um, for the Russell 2000 growth index. She's up 70%, like, astonishing. Uh, it, it, um, it helps that she's significantly overweight healthcare, 18% overweight, it's more than half of the fund. And uh, she's got 30% in IT. So hardly surprising that um, the fund was down 10% in March compared to 19% on the index. Um, the fund is actually, believe it or not, since the beginning of March, 5% in the black. 
you know, so heavily weighted is she to the categories that have done phenomenally well. Uh, certainly worth the look. Volatile, it's got 50 stocks, very high conviction, but certainly, you know, it's interesting. It helps that she's, she's in the right places at the right times. If you think that trend's going to continue and you want some small caps, take a gander. Oh, well, Angus, I mean, what do you make of those two categories in terms of your, your, the, the fund selectors that you speak to? I mean, if they go small cap, which sounds, according to Frank, they should. They've got to have a, a pretty strong uh, stomach for the, for the uh, volatility, don't they? Yeah, I mean, the thing to remember, I guess, is that the role of the fund selector is to, to sort of fill the allocation pots that come down from the, uh, you know, generally come down from the asset allocation committees. So um, it's very much about establishing which are the best managers in any given sector or asset class uh, which is uh, which is why i think frank and nisha's analysis is so useful um, the, the two things that i've been hearing about constantly from fund selectors since the whole covid crisis started transparency and liquidity those are the two things everybody talks about but uh, it, it's interesting that small caps i mean the advantage the advantage that small cap investors generally have is that these are less efficient markets you know, the availability research, et cetera, et cetera, favors it, the active stock picker. But, but that, um, I guess, makes transparency more challenging. Uh, I, I would also just throw into the mix, I know it's not the main focus of this podcast, but service, the levels of service that uh, fund selectors are getting from asset managers, there's a, a, a huge burden being placed on asset managers in terms of delivering the sort of transparency that asset managers need, uh, that uh, fund selectors need, I'm sorry. So, Obviously, the more you get it off the mainstream asset classes, the greater the service burden is on the asset manager. Presumably, there uh, there is a great dispersion in service levels, as you say. This is this is not about data number crunching, but uh, it's important, isn't it? Yeah, it's very important. I mean, it's it's the nuts and bolts of what people are doing in in terms of you know professional investment. Uh, the, uh, the the dispersion, I would say. This is anecdotal. I have no numbers to back this up. But I, what I'm generally hearing is that if you are one of the biggest institutions that's, you know, a major buyer of funds, you are getting excellent service. And asset managers are, are doing everything they can to make sure those big clients get what they need and what they ask for. Now, if you go further down the, the, sort of the AUM spectrum, if you're a smaller client of an asset manager, then perhaps your experience is more mixed. Um, so I'd be really interested, actually, anyone who is a, a medium-sized organization selecting third-party funds, um, and you have any experience of service that you'd like to share with me, please do. Good or bad, right? Good or bad, good or bad. And we like to feed all this stuff back. You know, it's a constructive uh, discussion, virtuous circle, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, yeah, everybody's experiences are interesting to us. What, what, I mean, what's interesting now is how this changes on COVID because it's very easy for an asset manager to say, we're not coming to your town for the next six months. We'll see you then. Uh, or we might see you at a city or physical event. Now, you know, you can, they can, there's, no, there's less excuse. They can, they can do Zoom calls all day uh, and see 30, 40, 50 clients in one day. So I don't know. If that's if that's going to change things, if it gives more as of a, a sorry, carry on. 
No, I was going to say absolutely true. I, I, I think you know the, the 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 six million or million dollar question. I can never remember what the uh, what the terminology is. But the big question here is whether whether these changes that we're seeing now really persist uh, when we come out of this this lockdown period. I, I mean that seems to be true of everything we discuss. We're all trying to look <clears throat> to the future, whether it's markets, whether it's asset classes, whether it's manager performance. We're looking into the into the great unknown, aren't we? Uh, far more so than than historically the case uh, and, and with and some people are saying everything's changed everything will be different in the future whether that's the yeah i mean for example two weeks ago we talked about amazon and nisha was talking about how her mum was now a uh, a convert to to amazon but i think you said nisha that she was doing that through you so the question yeah, is she does she continue to do that um after, even after yeah absolutely um even more so now so now she's yeah. known well knows more about amazon and all the different you know, subcategories so and departments. So she'll <laughs> go off and do all that herself. She'll go off and do that yes, herself. Now, yeah, now so yeah. because obviously yeah. now she's um, you know had a little lesson from me, <laughs> even though I'm not that yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. Myself, that's but, okay. um, now, yeah. So it's a small example. It. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's a small example, but I guess what I'm trying to say is, have things really changed? We all say we'll never go back to the way things were. We don't know yet if that's true or not. Will you know? Will everyone forget about this in three months, six months' time, and we'll all be on airplanes again? Who knows? Who knows? I mean, we're, we're, we're speculating, aren't we? But I think that the point you make, Richard, is, is a very valid one. I think that if people have been uh, successful in operating in a different way, then and, and they found that there are all kinds of tangible benefits to doing that, they're going to carry on doing it. Yeah. I mean, markets, I'm, I'm, markets are certainly pricing in that eventuality. If you just look at healthcare and tech, I mentioned, yeah. they're supposed to be forward-looking markets. They're not always. But I think in this case, they're really trying to think about how the world's going to change afterwards. And, and the winners from this, you know, in the short and medium term, will be healthcare and tech. I'm going to make one really strong prediction, and that is that we're all going to be back next week for the next edition of the podcast. Uh, so on that note of utter certainty, I'm going to thank you all for taking part, and thank you to everybody for listening. Uh, we do have a brand new edition of the Ratings Radar newsletter for you. Uh, if you're not on the list, just email us at ratingsradar at cityward.co.uk, and we'll make sure you have a personal copy in your inbox very soon. Uh, so on that note, thanks again to everybody and we'll be back next week.